0: We live in an incredibly blessed time. There are so many opportunities that you and I enjoy to be able to grow in our Bible knowledge. We're blessed to have the assembly that occurs here on Sunday morning, on Sunday night and Wednesday night. We have additional classes for our Monday morning Bible classes, gospel meetings, vacation Bible schools, summer series, And you also have a number of other opportunities to hear men from all over the world be able to come and preach the gospel if you use your smartphone or if you use your computer. Uh, The Memphis School of Preaching will be having their lectureship. It began this morning. I listened to a little bit of Brother Bobby Liddell's lesson tonight. Uh, It began at 5 o'clock. Starting tomorrow morning at 8.30, going all the way through the day, and then tomorrow night... Uh, Brother Dan Winkler will be speaking on the lectureship. You can go to msop, that's Memphis School of Preaching, msop.org, and right there on the main page they'll have a live stream, and you can be able to watch it. I encourage you to do that. You'll be able to hear some great speakers who will take some time to be able to prepare and present some great lessons from God's Word Now tonight, I want to talk to you about the phrase, Old Brother, Where Art Thou? And I know many of you look and saw the photograph on the screen and you said, I remember a movie from the earlier part of this century. Um, There was a movie named Old Brother, Where Art Thou? It was a comedy starring George Clooney. was a very popular song in that, and the title of it was Down to the River to Pray. It was an a cappella song. Recorded by Allison Krauss. I don't know how many of you watched the movie. If you did, there's probably parts of it you would not appreciate. But I will point out this, that there's a thought behind that that deserves some thinking. Where are you, as Brother Paul read, that's a challenging and a sobering question. Because it asks each of us, where are we, spiritually speaking? You see, when Adam was asked the question, where are you? That must be ringing in our ears because here's God and Adam is sinned. And he's looking at him and saying, Adam, where are you? God knew where he was. But what he wanted Adam to do is to think about where he was. I want to read Genesis 3 verse 9 again as well as Psalms 139 and Jeremiah 23. Then the Lord called Adam and said to him, Where are you? Or where art thou? In Psalm 139, verses 7 through 9, David said, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of morning and the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand... Shall hold me. If I say, Surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be as light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. You see, it doesn't matter where you go. David said, To the heights or to the depths, to the dark or to the light, God is able to see. In Jeremiah 23, Am I not a God near at hand, says the Lord? And not a God far off? Can anyone hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, says the Lord? Do I not fill the heavens and the earth, says the Lord? Wherever we go, whatever we do, God knows who we are And God knows what we're doing, and God knows our status before Him. I want to ask the question tonight, and I want you to put yourself in one of these four categories. Are you safe? Are you in sin? Are you saved? Or are you strained? We're going to explore those four things very simply. We're not going to spend a long time on each one of them, but we want to look and see what he says. When you say safe, every parent knows what that means. In fact, there's a biblical reference to that. In 2 Samuel chapter 18, the king, the king is David, said, Is the young man Absalom safe? Ahimaaz answered, When Joab sent the king's servant, and me, your servant, I saw a great tumult, but I did not know what it was about. And then he says, I don't know. I, You know, all I saw was this great upheaval going on, and I don't know if Absalom's safe or not. David's not satisfied with that answer. Someone asks you if there's a car wreck outside and your child's not here. Are they safe? Someone comes along and says, I don't know. I saw a huge wreck out there. But I don't know if they're saving. Well, you're not going to be satisfied with that. Verse 32, And the king said to the Cushite, Is the young man Absalom safe? So the Cushite answered, May the enemies of my lord, the king, and all who rise against him to do harm, you to do harm, be like that young man. Oh, that wasn't a good answer. Because David knew Absalom was not safe. When you think about safe, parents won't rest until they know their children are safe. If they're out, they maybe are making a trip to Nashville or to Murfreesboro, and it's time for them to come home. You want to know, are they safe? Just recently, there have been some very serious storms passed through. In fact, Lord's Church in Jacksonville, Alabama, where House to House and Heart to Heart is published had the roof ripped off of the offices and part of the building there. Quite often when there's a a serious storm, they'll say, you need to go to your safe place, a place where you yourself can know that you are safe from harm. Let's talk about who is safe. Young children are safe spiritually. That means that they're in a condition that with God, they are protected from the... Destruction of hell. In Matthew chapter 19 and verse 14. But Jesus said let the little children come to me. And do not forbid them. For of such is the kingdom of heaven. The innocence of a child. They have no sin because they are not able to discern. Right from wrong. In fact I, I like the way that. Isaiah puts it in chapter seven verse sixteen for before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that you dread shall be, will be forsaken by both of her kings before a child is able to know to distinguish you see a little child and you say well they you know they know they shouldn't do this but They've got to learn to choose the right thing. They've got to learn to refuse to do the wrong thing. That takes some learning and some ability to process decision-making. But you see, at a point in time, we become old enough, capable enough to understand, and then we move from the category of safe into the category of sin. You become a sinner by choosing to do sin. We read in 1 John 3 verse 4, whoever commits sin commits lawlessness and sin is lawlessness. The King James is very simple. Sin is a transgression of the law. That's where a person chooses to do something that God has told him not to do. We could spend a little bit of time and talk about What all that involves. In James chapter 4 verse 17. Therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it. To him it is sin. You know the difference between right and wrong. You understand this is what God told you to do. And you don't do it. You know you're supposed to do that. That's sin. In Romans 14 verse 23. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. In this context, what Paul is explaining is, if you believe you are doing wrong, you are violating your conscience, then you also are committing sin. Some people believe that they should not eat certain meats. Paul says, if you do that and you violate your conscience, you don't eat from faith, you sin. You see, that's a state, a state that we all ultimately will reach. That's a place where you and I go from a state of innocence to a state of guilty because we chose to sin. When Paul was explaining the value of the gospel of Jesus Christ... He tries to impress upon them. Everybody needs it. Romans 3, verses 9 and 10, Are what then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged that both Jews and Greeks, that they are all under sin. That it is written, There's none righteous, no, not one. Verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody. So everybody who's capable of making the decisions to choose the right and refuse the evil eventually says, I'm going to choose the evil. In Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 20, Solomon put it very simply, For there is not a just man on the earth who does good and does not sin. What that does is put all of us in this category at some point in our life. After we pass the safe category, then we move into the sin category. And it is in the state of sin that we are condemned. In Romans 6 and verse 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What you and I, every one of us, deserve because of our sin state is to be punished for it. We committed a spiritual crime, if you will. Matthew 25, verse 41. Jesus is giving a picture of a shepherd separating his flocks and separating sheep on goats. And he goes on to explain that each of them are there because of their choices. And then he says, then he will say to those on the left, depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. You see, those who stay in the sin category are going to ultimately be punished. And sadly, some choose to continue to remain in sin. They choose not to take care of that and to to deal with it and take the opportunity to be forgiven of it. In fact, Paul asked the question in Romans 6 and verse 1, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And Paul's answer is, God forbid. We who died to sin, how shall we live any longer in it? Romans chapter 6 and verse 2. But the third category that, or state that you and I might reach is that of being saved. And there's a distinction between talking about a person being safe and a person being saved. Because the one who's safe has never yet committed the sin. That's like an innocent child. But there are those who are saved who have once been lost. And let me illustrate this to you. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus is trying to teach the people about lost things. You have a lost sheep. You have a lost coin. You have a lost son. He said, when he comes home, he calls his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost. Or, verse 9, And when she had found it, she calls her friends and her neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace, which I lost. Verse 32, It is right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost. And is found. To say that something has been saved is to say that it once at some period in time was lost. And the truth is, man without God is lost and has no hope whatsoever. If you don't come to the Lord Jesus Christ and seek forgiveness based upon his conditions, your fate is sealed. Listen to Ephesians 2, verse 12. Paul writes that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. You know, I feel sad for people who have to go to a doctor and hear the words, Your condition is terminal. I'm sorry to tell you this, but you will not survive this illness or this injury. Those are some real sad words. But let me tell you, when it comes to spiritual lostness, if you have no hope, you have no hope in this life, nor do you have hope eternally. In 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 13, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who fall asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope, no hope when a person is not saved, they have no hope at all, but God the Father, Jesus the Son, desire that everybody be saved. Oh, you look at what God did; God so loved the world that He gave his only-begotten Son, John three. In verse 16, Jesus said greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. Luke 19, verse 10, Jesus had come into the city of Jericho. Oh, there's lots of people gathering around to to see him, to hear him. There's one little man, he can't see over the crowds, so he, he climbs up into a sycamore tree to see Jesus pass by, and Jesus stops and takes notice of Zacchaeus. There's a lot of people who are incensed by that because Zacchaeus was a tax collector. And Jesus said very simply, for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Zacchaeus was a lost man. He didn't mean matter how tall he was, didn't matter what occupation he had. What the matter was he was lost and Jesus wanted to save him. In 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 4, Paul is trying to explain to Timothy how God is involved in this world. And you pray for those who are in positions of authority. You pray for peace and tranquility. And then he gets to verse 4. He says, who desires all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. God knows that knowing the truth will set us free from sin, John chapter 8 in verse 32, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And God knows it. you and I need that. That's why the gospel has been sent out into all the world. In 2 Peter chapter 3, you look at the world in which we're in and sometimes those of us who are here wonder, why doesn't God just come and bring this old ugly world and all the evil in it to an end? Oh, there's a good reason why he hasn't done this. Peter says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's long-suffering. God's willing to say, Will there be another person who will choose to do what is right and refuse to do what is wrong? In fact, would you consider even tonight that The fact that you have this opportunity itself is a reflection of the long-suffering of God. Could Jesus have come today at noon and you wouldn't have had the opportunity tonight? Yes. But you see, that's the long-suffering of God. But in order to be saved, I've got to cooperate with God's plan to save my soul. In Acts 2... On the day of Pentecost, when Peter was preaching that powerful sermon about Jesus being made both Lord and Christ, and our becoming disciples of His, and our being obedient by being baptized for the remission of our sins, follows that up in verse 40 by saying, And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Come out, be saved. Chapter 11, verse 14, I will will tell you words by which you and your household will be saved. It is a message that you have to listen to. It is a message that you have to believe. Acts 16, verse 30, the Philippian jailer, he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, number four, O brother, where art thou? Art thou straying? To some degree, all of us who are God's children do stray. When Isaiah was foreseeing the coming of the Savior, the servant, who was going to provide the forgiveness of our sins, Said in chapter 53, verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That means that I've gone astray, and you've gone astray, and everybody else has. Why do people stray? What is it that would cause someone who had gone from the state of being safe to being a sinner to being saved now would turn and stray away from that? Oh, it's the allurements of the world. It's when the devil puts some temptation out in front of us and we say, oh, that looks good. I'm going going to pursue that. James chapter 1 and verse 14, he simply says, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. I can't blame anybody else for my own straying. I can't look and say, well, you shouldn't have led me astray. No, I'm I'm the one who is drawn away by my own lust. We've got to own it. We've got to recognize I'm the one who's responsible for the choices that I make. In First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10, Paul recognizes that certain things in this life do have an allurement and a draw and a temptation force. In fact, you can start and just put them in categories if you want to. He says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. You know what I have observed in life? Here are people who want to be saved. They want to go to heaven. They want to claim God. But they also want to enjoy the pleasures of this world, primarily material things. And greed becomes their great motivator. And they've made money. Their idol. They've made money their God. And you remember what Jesus said. You cannot serve God in mammon. You cannot serve God in money. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, Here's Paul trying to preach the gospel out of the motivation to save every soul that he can. And one of his co-workers, Demas, quit. Demas gave up. Demas loved this present world. Some straying people will come back. But others will stray and never come home. I made reference earlier to Luke chapter 15. I could spend a little bit of time here talking about the prodigal son. We all know that this young man, as he was growing up, motivated by greed, motivated by the desire for pleasure, asked his father for the portion of the inheritance that fell to him. He went into a far country. There he wasted it with riotous or prodigal living. He began to be in want. He spent it all. He then wanted just to eat the husk, the pods that the pigs were eating. And nobody would give him anything. I'm talking about reaching the bottom of the barrel and and going all the way to the bottom. That's where he was, even feeding pigs. He came to himself and he says, I'm going to go back to my father and I'm going to say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and I'm no more worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. He strayed away, but you know, he remembered where he came from. He remembered the blessings of his father's home. And so he says, I'm going to go back and I'm going to do this. And he did just exactly as he said he would do. There's some of us that as we stray, we recognize, oh, I'm I messed up. I need to, to come back and do what is right again. Well, I don't want to stray. I want to be on the pathway of righteousness, and there's a way to do that. Isaiah 35, verse 8, gives a very uh, colorful picture, if you will, of this. He said a highway shall be there and a road and it shall be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it but it shall be for others. Whoever walks on the road although a fool shall not go astray. Boy, do I fit in that category. Not the smartest person in the world. But you know... If I do what 1 John 1 says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all our sins. Oh, you see, if I stay on the path and I go the direction that he tells me to go and I follow his footsteps, I know that I won't go astray. It's a highway of holiness. And it's not for the unclean. It's not for the ungodly. It's only for those who are righteous. And he says, whoever walks on the road, although a fool, shall not go astray. Jesus put it very simply like this, John 14, and verse 6. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes unto the Father except through me. And really, that's so simple. You can't go to heaven because you are super intelligent. You can't go to heaven because you're great and wealthy, because you have fame and influence. The only way you get to go to heaven is As you walk in the path of the Savior. And with that, you don't stray. I go back to the title of the lesson. Oh, brother, where art thou? Adam, where art thou? What are you doing? Why have you made this choice to sin? Do you now see your condition? And now are you ready to make some changes? Now, let's make it personal. Are you like Adam and Eve and simply not owned up to where you are? You see, Adam and Eve didn't really want to admit they had sinned. They violated God's law. Now, here's the truth tonight. Those four categories that I've spoken of, every one of us are in one of those four categories. There's some of these precious little children here sitting on the seats. They're safe. We've got to continue to urge them to do what's right, to to lay a groundwork for them to become Christians once sin enters into their lives. There's some who are sinners. That is, you've chosen to sin and yet you've not yet obeyed the gospel Oh, I wish I could reach you some way. I wish I could get you to see what you need to do to address that problem in your life. Many of you are saved. Doesn't mean you're perfect. You're people who have been sinners, just like I am. But yet, the Lord offered a pardon. He offered forgiveness. You've taken advantage of it. here's the sad thing though is some of us are still straying. We're not where we're supposed to be. We're that one lost sheep of Luke 15 that's gone over the hill. Whatever it was that attracted you or whatever it was that caused you to want to go that direction, I don't know, but I can tell you there's only blessings if you come back home. If you are not safe, you're not saved let me urge you to respond to the invitation tonight to become a christian by being baptized or to come back home we're going to sing the song jesus the loving shepherd would you respond as we stand and sing